Many of us know that Christmas is often a holiday that's associated with family. That's what can make Christmas so great. That's also what can make Christmas such a challenge sometimes. We have such high expectations on ourselves, on our families. We have such high expectations for the perfect Christmas. And when we return back to the eyewitness accounts of the first Christmas, we realize that things didn't go as planned in the first Christmas. Things were not expected at the first Christmas. And we also see that even Jesus' family, while they were wonderful examples of faith, they also had to deal with the anxiety of that first Christmas. So last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus had two dads. Jesus had two dads, meaning that, of course, he is God the Son and the Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal, forever loving God the Father and God the Spirit. But he also had an adopted father, an adopted father who was a carpenter betrothed to this other young woman named Mary. That was last Sunday. And then on Wednesday night, we looked at the Line and the lineage of Jesus, his genealogy, meaning all the people in his past. And he did have people of prominence and power. He had both patriarchs and kings in the lineage of Jesus. But he also had some truly dysfunctional people in his family. When we studied it last Wednesday, we saw that what was in Jesus' family would make even the most spectacular, dysfunctional people in your family look like absolute saints. His family, his line, his lineage had problems. But as we focus on how Jesus had two dads, we also looked at the beauty that Jesus had more than one mom. Clearly, we're going to study Mary But what we looked at on Wednesday in Jesus' genealogy were his great-grandmothers. His great-grandmother, for example, Tamar, the Canaanite. We looked at Rahab, who was from Jericho. We looked at Ruth, the Moabite, and Bathsheba, the wife of the Hittite. What does all that mean? The four women mentioned Jesus' four grandmas. None of them were Israelites. So this is good news for us, friends. This is good news for us and our families. If we are a dysfunctional person, part of a dysfunctional family, or perhaps we don't have the best church attendance, we don't have the most religious track record in Jesus's family, there's a place for you. In Jesus's story, there's a place for you. Even today, we might need to rethink our identity when we return back in history to Jesus's family. So today, we are looking at Mary, this young lady who God had called upon to be the mother of the Messiah. Let's look at the text, shall we? Starting our study here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read only the first two verses first, which is going to Set the stage, introduce the cast and the characters, but also 
remind us of the protagonist, okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the king. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's pause right there, shall we? This is the cast. This is a list of characters. And in these characters, we see both heaven and earth meet. We see angels interacting with carpenters. We see kings, David. And we also see young peasant girls named Mary. And while there is such a seeming dichotomy in these characters, all of these characters have a secondary role. The main character in this story, the main character in every story in the Bible, the main character, friends, in every single life is God. It said there, right there, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from who? From God himself. As if to say, this story is God's story. In fact, all of history is his story. You've heard me say it before. Your life is not about you, and that's the best news that you've ever heard. Amen? Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God I don't have to control everyone and everything. Thank God I don't have to be the savior of everyone and everything. Thank God I don't have to try and manipulate perfection out of this broken life and this broken world. Thank God for God. When we realize there's a God and we're not it, watch the freedom begin to flood your soul. But what we see in this passage is who this God is. Who this God is. He has sent his angel, Gabriel, as a messenger to the most unexpected person in the most unexpected country, in the most unexpected place, Israel, Nazareth, a backwater town that nobody wanted to live in. In fact, when Jesus begins his public ministry, one of his followers questions Jesus coming from Nazareth, saying, can anything good come from that town? I don't even want to say or mention what the equivalent might be along the Jersey Shore, but it might be something that we're... Can anything good come from there? Well, that's where Jesus came from. And that's where his mother lived and raised him, right? So we see God sends Gabriel. Now, this isn't the first time that God would send the angel named Gabriel. And this isn't the first time Gabriel comes with an encouraging word of love. In fact, whether you're talking about a young lady in Nazareth or you're talking about an exiled statesman in Daniel, God sends Gabriel to send two specific messages. In Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament, Gabriel says this. It's a message from the Lord. Oh, Daniel, I have come now. I have now come to give you insights and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. What's the word that went out? Why did God send this angelic visitor to Daniel to give this message? Ready? You are greatly loved. 
Therefore, Gabriel said then, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, since then, in fact, for over 400 years, between Malachi and Matthew, between Old Testament and New, there was no prophetic revelation. There was no angelic visitation. It would seem that perhaps God had forgotten his people. Perhaps he had forsaken them. Where was God in his covenant and his promises? Have they ceased? Has God failed? Gabriel's coming and Gabriel's announcement is that God has not failed. God will never fail. And this has all been part of God's beautiful, redemptive plan. So God sends Gabriel to who? A young woman who is in the line and lineage of King David, fulfilling the Davidic covenant. Now, when we come and we hear the name Mary, I know that for many of us, Mary is very near and dear to our hearts. For some of us also, Mary might be someone that perhaps anytime we study Mary, you want to make sure Mary's in her proper context, but we can fall into a separate trap. Here's what I'm going to give as an encouragement, depending on where you are in your journey of faith. Ready? When we return back to the Bible, when we return back to Jesus, when we return back to the eyewitness account of Scripture, we can fall into two traps with this wonderful young lady. The first trap is to deify her, is to make her a god. The second trap is to dismiss her. We can fall into two traps, deify her or dismiss her. We can fall into the trap of making her something that she was never meant to be, she never asked to be, and the Bible and Jesus doesn't make her to be. But we can also dismiss her because what you're going to see right now, friends, what you're going to hear right now, friends, is an amazing act of obedience from a young lady. How many of us know we need more Marys in our world today? How many of us know, especially young people, that if we return back to Scripture, you could find a great example for being faithful to God in this young lady? So Mary is a wonderful example of our faith. But she was never meant to be an object of our faith. In fact, friends, could you probably guess if she was actually here in our presence right now? If she was here right now talking to you, I would guess by how I've studied Scripture and what Scripture says about her, I can almost promise you she would say, listen, friends, don't pray to me. Pray to Jesus, my son. Don't look to me to save you. Look to my son to save yours. Don't look to me as the queen of heaven. Look to him, Jesus Christ, as the king of kings. I believe that would be her heart. Why? Well, because of how she concludes this passage. This young girl is willing to sacrifice and face consequence because of God's word. She's going to say, and it's powerful, Behold, Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. So how does the word that she's being obedient to describe her as a wonderful example of faith? The story continues here in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. All eyes back on scripture. We learn more about the son that she's about to have. 
Verse 28, Luke chapter 1. And he, the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. The most repeated command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name what church? He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Praise God. So we're introduced to the cast, the characters. We're introduced to the protagonist, who is God. We're also reminded that sometimes, not only are we, I should say this, all the time we're not the protagonist. It's not about us. But tragically, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're even the antagonist. Sometimes we are even the one that doesn't believe, refuses to believe, and is often the skeptic in the story. So what do we see? We see Jesus Christ exalted and magnified. The cast and the characters have been described. Now we see the details of the greatest story ever told. The when, the how, the who, the what, and the why. When is this? This is at an important turning point in all of human history. What you just heard, friends, is about to begin the most important 30 years of all of human history. We base our timeline on this person, Jesus Christ. B.C., before Christ. A.D., the year of our Lord. Amo Domini. We have more buildings built to honor Christ. More hospitals, more schools, more books. The book written about him is the best-selling book of all time. There is no historian that you'll ever meet that will deny that Jesus Christ, who grew up in Israel, the son of poor peasants, is, in fact, the most influential person who's ever lived. You just heard it. This is the beginning of the most important 30 years of all human history. That's the when. The how? Well, gosh, we don't know. <laughs> a virgin will conceive. This is miraculous. Every part of the story is miraculous. Every part, every breath, every moment is a miracle. But this is a really important one. As it said in the scripture that this virgin will conceive. Now, this wasn't something that was relatively new to Gabriel. No, in fact, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he prophesied how centuries and centuries and centuries, a really long time. How old is our country? How long has the United States been around? Think of it as two histories of the United States. A prophecy was made, and this was the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean, friends? God with us. Now you're not alone. God is with us in Christ. So Isaiah said, behold, I give you a sign. What's the sign? 
Emmanuel. The Lord himself gives the sign. The sign is the Lord himself. So now it's fulfilled. Now it's coming to pass. Jesus Christ is God with us. Now, some of us, we struggle with the virgin birth because it's a miracle. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're new to Scripture, perhaps you're kind of still wrestling with some of its truth claims. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. Ready? Everybody ready? None of you are ready. Good. Okay. <laughs> Glenn Shrivener, he put it like this. This is so insightful. He said, Christians believe in the bir virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. If you talk to the most hardened atheist anywhere, they can't explain how the universe came into being. They don't know. If it's cause and effect, they can point to the effect, but they don't know the cause. So what's your miracle? That all of this, everything that is, came out of nothing? Or that there's a wonderful father, a beautiful painter, an amazing storyteller that brought all of it into existence, and now it culminates. Now here's the pinnacle. Here's he, the storyteller, what? Entering into the story. It's awesome. So the virgin birth might be hard for us to understand, and it is, but choose your miracle. Virgin universe, virgin birth. I'm going to stick with scripture. Now, I know some of us wrestle with this, and we wonder, all right, can it be true? In fact, Larry King was once asked the question. We remember Larry King, some of us, the interviewer, the, the, the television host. He who interviews others was interviewed by someone, and someone asked him a question, a very penetrating question. Larry King, you have interviewed people from all over the world. If you could interview someone from all over history, who would you interview? And Larry King responded instantly, and he said, one person, Jesus Christ. The person that was asking Larry King the question was uh, surprised. So he said, all right, Larry, what would you ask Jesus Christ? And Larry King responded, quote, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define all of human history for me. So insightful, Larry King. Because if it's true, if we're not alone, if it's true that God's a good father, if it's true that God sent his son to save us, he's right. All of history changes, and so do I. That is the how, the who. Gabriel says his name will be Jesus. Gabriel says he will be great. Gabriel says he will be the son of the Most High. What? What will this Jesus do? Well, he will reign as king. He will sit on the throne of David. He will rule over the house of Jacob, but his house will not just be in Israel. His kingdom will extend forever. But here is the most important question for our study this morning, friends. Ready? We understand the when, the how, the who, and the what, but it really is the why. It's the why that changes hearts. It's the why that needs to penetrate in our minds and in our souls this morning. Why did Gabriel come? Why did God send the angel? And why will God send his son? Because without him, friends, there is no hope. We get this, right? That this is the offense of Christmas. We love the sentimentality of it. I love Christmas. 
my favorite holiday by far. But when we really think about it, it's offensive. God didn't send Jesus to help us save ourselves. God sent Jesus to save us from ourselves. One author, John Piper, he put it like this. Before we delight in Christmas, we see the indictment of Christmas. And that's perhaps why we don't delight in this story. It's because we haven't come to the end of ourselves. We haven't surrendered over our self-sufficiency, our self-righteousness. We, in the end, think we are worthy of all God's blessings. We are worthy to stand in God's presence. We are worthy of heaven because of all the good that we've done. You know, prophet Isaiah also said that our good deeds are always laced with a little bit of sin. Our good deeds are like filthy rags, meaning that our bad deeds need saving, but our good deeds need saving as well. What's the why of Christmas? The why is that God sent Jesus to save us because we could not save ourselves. We could not atone for our sins. We cannot purify ourselves we could not stand in the presence of the Almighty God who is holy, holy, holy and expect to not face the consequence of our sin. Galatians chapter 4 puts it like this. For those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you didn't know there was a Christmas verse in Galatians, but this is the reason for Christmas. Everyone listening? This is good. You excited? This is powerful. Everyone stay with me. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Listen. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know what Abba means? Some of us still think of that disco band from the 70s. Abba means dada, meaning that when we believe, when we surrender, when we allow the grace of God to change us from the inside out, because we know we couldn't save ourselves, all of a sudden, do we not look at God as an absentee landlord? All of a sudden, we not look at God as this blind watchmaker that made everything and steps back as we destroy the world and just lets it tick. No, we don't even see him as a father who is just contractually obliged to love us because that's what he's supposed to do. Many of us, we think God doesn't love us. We think he just tolerates us. And then we hear that. Oh, when we believe, we come to him like that beautiful little boy EJ goes to his parents, needs his mommy, his daddy, needs their love, needs their affection, and cries out, Dada, Daddy, you really do love me. That is the message of Christmas. And that's why I think even at this message, even though there will be consequences for Mary, she says yes. Let's look at the text, shall we? Verse 34, and we'll conclude with this. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Very good question. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I'm in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. Friends, if you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to humor your pastor and let's read verse 37 together, shall we? One, two, three, for nothing. Beautiful. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary said, yes. You ever pause and think about what Mary said yes to? Mary was saying yes to God, but she was also saying yes to Joseph's potential judgment and abandonment. Her betrothed, her fiance, her future husband might judge her and abandon her. She says yes. Her parents might doubt her. Her parents might see her as a disappointment. She says yes. Her friends, teenagers, can you imagine this? She's probably about 15, 16 years old. She is now with child, and everybody knows it's not Joseph's baby. She's walking through town, and all the girls are whispering at her, gossiping, slandering, calling her words that I can't say in church right now. Mary says yes. Behold, Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She not only probably had fears, she probably questions. Can I be a mother? Gosh, can I be a mother of a king? My goodness, can I be the mother of the son of the most high? Many of us were nervous just being parents in general. Envision being a 15-year-old who you will raise as the king of kings. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What Mary probably didn't know was that there would be a tax. That lying serpent Satan would attack. The religious leaders would attack. The political leaders would attack. Friends, if Jesus was just a nice guy, if he was just a good example, if he was just a social activist, then why is everyone in power trying to take him out? It's because he wasn't just an example. He was a threat. He was a threat to their system. He was a threat to their power and his kingdom would overthrow all of their kingdoms. Mary didn't understand this. We're almost done. She says this, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know what I think of? I think of Mary not only at the cradle, I think of Mary at the cross. And this is the point where I really get choked up. Parents in here, you can relate to this. If you've ever had a son or a daughter, or a little brother, a little sister, a nephew. Envision this. <sighs> the baby that would reach up from the cradle and grasp her mother Mary's little finger. Just 33 years later, Mary would look at that hand, and now it's not grasping her finger, but now on a cross, it's pierced with a nail. Envision as a young mother kissing the brow of that beautiful little boy, caressing him, feeling his smooth skin on her lips, and now, 33 years later, looking at him on the cross in the place where she used to kiss his brow, now covered with a crown of thorns. Mary was there at the cradle. Mary was there at the cross. Mary was there at the resurrection. Mary was there in the early church. You see what she said yes to? 
was not only eternity and joy and love, but sacrifice. Moms, we get this, right? We can follow in her example. But if she was here, she would say, don't look to me, look to my son. Many of us, we love that song, right? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> Young people, old people, all of us, let us have a merry Christmas. When God speaks in his word, let us obey. Even if the whole world denies it, runs away from it, even if it comes with cost and consequence, let us say with Mary, behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's now, right now, in this moment, where perhaps we don't see an angelic visitation, but we do hear your word. We do hear it. It's clear. The same baby who Mary brought into this world and laid in that swaddling cloth in a cradle would be the man that would go to the cross for her sin, for Joseph's sin, for our sin, for my sin. He was broken so we could be healed. By his stripes, the Bible says, we find healing. So thank you, God, that Jesus paid the price for my sin. Thank you, God, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Thank you, God, for Jesus, who came into our world to save us from us. So let us trust. Let us believe. Let us hope again. But let us turn from ourself and from our sin and receive your word and your son. If that's you this morning, if you're looking for a fresh start, a new beginning, if you feel empty and you know that you are a sinner in need of grace and salvation, pray this prayer with me, would you? Receive the gift of grace. Heavenly Father, please forgive me. Say it to the Lord. Help me to believe today. Help me like Mary to say yes to you today. Fill me with your spirit. Say it to him. And give me the courage. The courage to follow Christ. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.